0: We're looking here at Paul's letter to the Colossians. We come now, as we come to this fifth verse in the third chapter, we come now to the practical uh, aspect of the letter. So up until this point, it has been more or less doctrinal in the sense that Paul has uh, been pushing back against some of that false teaching that's trying to creep in that we've been talking about Uh, kind of a combination of Greek philosophical thought and uh, aspects of Judaism. And so Paul uh, addressed all of that. And now he comes to that place in this letter where he's now calling us to live out our faith. And that's that's a consistent pattern in all of Paul's writings. He always, of course, he starts with an introduction, uh, but he always moves first into what we would call the doctrinal side of things. He moves into the, um, the, the work of God, talking about the work of God. And after he has expounded on all that God has done, then he, he always transitions to uh, what we are to do in response. And, and that's what he's doing here. So we've died with Christ. He's been talking about that. And so since that's the, the reality we are now to put to death our our members that are here upon the earth. So we're going to jump right into that. But let me remind you. I want to go back to a um, a quote that I gave in the previous study from N.T. Wright, uh, because we're we're following up on the same types of things that we began to develop there. But the quote went like this, learning to believe what doesn't at the moment feel true is an essential part of being a Christian. Let me say it again. Learning to believe what doesn't at the moment feel true is an essential part of being a Christian. Now, the reason I wanted to start with that again is because Paul now is telling us, um, so he's, he's told us that we died with Christ but yet now he's telling us to put to death. So how is it if we, if we died, why do we have to put anything to death? Well, this is the reason because as we pointed out previously and as the, the statement from N.T. Wright indicates, we don't always feel like we died to sin, do we? And a lot of times we have strong feelings that are tempting us towards sin. So what do I do about that? Well, this is where I have to recognize, like we said before, that there is a truth that is a, a spiritual truth. And I have, to, I have to stand firmly on that truth regardless of how I might feel. So the truth is I died to sin because Christ died to sin. I'm in Christ. What happened to Christ literally happened to me spiritually. And so now I'm dead to sin, even if I don't feel like I'm dead to sin. And so Paul tells us here in verse five, he says, therefore, and of course it's because of the fact uh, that you died and your life is hid with Christ in God. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. And now he's going to go through a number of things here. And, and these are the things that are uh, part of the old nature. The, these are the things that we thought and the things that we did before coming to Christ. So what Paul is talking about here is very similar to what he talked about in Ephesians. He's talking about the new person uh, versus the old person. And so the old person, uh, the, the old life that I lived, I'm to put that off. I'm to put that away. And now I'm to put on the new person. So I've just titled the message, the old and the new self, because that is, what we're talking about here. So, when he says put to death, um, this is the idea that he's talking about, you know, put, putting, putting these things off. In, in other words, not engaging in these things. And the first thing that he says here uh, is translated in our New King James Version as uh, fornication. Uh, most other translations translate the word sexual immorality. And that's a a better translation because it's the Greek word porneia. And the Greek word porneia, we we get our word pornographic from it. Um, But that Greek word was really kind of a catch-all for all kinds of sexual sin. And so Paul, this is where he starts. He starts with the um, putting off of these, these things that, um, are are impurities that rise up out of uh, the old nature. We're, we're to put these things aside. So let's talk about sexual immorality for a moment. And um, let, let me let me just say this: uh, the world that Paul preached to had a sexual ethic that was very similar to the one that we in the West have today. And and really, what's happened? in regard to sexuality in the Western world is we have gone back to a pagan sexuality. So what we're seeing in our uh, cultures today here in the West, whether it's in the United States or Canada or Australia, New Zealand, uh, all over um, Europe, any place where Western civilization has touched down and and has taken deep root, you're going to find the same kinds of sexual ideas and agendas. And, and these go back to the ancient world. This is how the ancient world lived. And it was really, it was the influence of the gospel that changed um, the, the way people thought and behaved regarding sexuality as the influence of the gospel begins to wear off on western culture we're seeing a a, it's like a resurgence of the the pagan ideas of sexuality and so but let me just clarify what sexual immorality refers to and it's it's really quite simple you don't have to get real complicated in Trying to explain it, um, there, there's actually only one um, means of sexual expression uh, it that God allows, only one. Um, but within that one, it's hey, have all the uh, pleasure and enjoyment and and fun you have. But the but the one expression of uh, Sexual activity that God allows is the expression of the sexual activity uh, within a heterosexual marriage. Now, this is a big, big problem for many, many people uh, in the culture today. Many people feel like this is this is um, uh, oppressive. It's obviously restrictive. Uh, I mean, for for many people, it's actually hateful. It's seen as being hateful. Um, But we we have to think about this. And when I talk to people about sexual ethics and things like that, I always want to start not with sex. I want to start with God. I want to start with whether or not there is a God. And uh, because to me, that's really the issue. If there is a God... And he has spoken about sexuality. And if there is a God, then we're, we're believing. If we believe there is a God, we're believing that God, that God created everything, right? So if there is a God who created everything, including me, and he's spoken about, spoken about sexuality, then um, what he says about it is going to be the facts. It's going to be the truth because of course he's the one who created it. So this is where I always start. I want to start with God. Is there a God? Because look, if there is no God, if mankind is the byproduct of natural processes, then we cannot say that one sexual standard or ethic is any better than any other. And it really is just to each his own. Just whatever suits you, that's what you do. Um, you know that would that would be the case if there was no God. But like I said, if there is a God. And if this God created us, and if this God uh, created our sexuality, and if this God has a purpose for our sexuality, and he's declared to us what that is, then we are obligated to that. That's why so many people who want to live uh, you know, free sexually, uh, oftentimes deny that there is a God because they know that God's gonna interfere with their sexual desires. And so again, simply any sex outside the marriage bed is forbidden by God. That is the simple, straightforward teaching of scripture. There's no uh, one group of people who practice one uh, type of sexual um, behavior that is singled out as any more sinful than anyone else, all sexual activity outside of the marriage bed between a biological man and a biological woman, all of it is prohibited by God. You might say, well, why would God do that? Because God knows best. God created sex and he knows the the right Time and place and environment for that to take place and like I said when you're in that covenant relationship when you're in that marital relationship um, enjoy all the sex you want but once you take it outside of that that's when it becomes sinful now some people really are upset because um, they say well I don't have a desire for an opposite sex uh, partner and so basically you're telling me that God is forbidding me from ever having sex. Well, in, you know, in one sense that that is true, but what we need to know is we were not made for sex. Sex is part of who we are. The part of the problem, a big part of the problem is that we have now uh, in our culture, many people are exclusively identifying themselves around sexuality. And if the whole world is about sex, then I could see where this becomes a real problem. But according to the scripture, sex is part of who we are, but it's certainly not the totality of who we are. And my life is not going to be better or worse, whether or not I can have a sexual relationship. See, because the sexual relationship is, uh, it's it's a relationship. It's to be in uh, a, a covenant bond with another person. And God made it to be this way. In the beginning, God created the male and female. And for this reason, Jesus said, a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. And so I, it's not my intention here to go into deep, deep detail on this because we have to move through these verses today and um, but but yet at the same time, we have to recognize that God's word is very clear on this. And um, I know many people who uh, live their lives with a struggle um, with a same sex attraction and things like that. And yet, um, many of them have told me personally, uh, many have written their own books, I've read their stories, that Christ becomes uh, sufficient for them and that that's no longer the big issue in their life because Jesus has come and he's uh, met a deeper need that causes them not to feel as though they're somehow missing out because they're not able to be involved in this. And many of them have committed themselves to a life of devotion to Christ, which means that they will not have a sexual relationship, but uh, Christ is ultimately better. And so they're they're satisfied to um, deny that, that aspect of desire. And that's really what we're talking about. Paul says put these things to death. And again, he's talking to everybody who is sexually active or tempted to be sexually active, uh, who is not in a marital relationship. Now, I said the word pornea is a word that's like an all-inclusive word. It, include, it includes, and it's translated here fornication. Fornication means to have what we would call premarital sex. Um, but this word is way broader than premarital sex. It includes premarital sex. It includes extramarital sex, which would be uh, what we would call adultery. But it includes things like pornography. It includes uh, all of the different things that are just all sort of you know bundled together when it comes to sexuality. And uh, of course, what's happened here in our culture today, really, I I think what what has happened is sex has become uh, a major idol. And that's not surprising because this has happened um, many times over in the ancient world, many times over in the pagan world. And when you go back and you look at whether it's the Old Testament gods and goddesses or the New Testament uh, gods and goddesses, Uh, many, many times, almost every time there was some sexual component involved in the worship of these various gods and goddesses. And so Paul says that we are to put to death fornication, but then he says uncleanness, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, I think that this um, particular verse here I think that here in verse five, um, all of these things go together. I think that Paul is putting these things together in a sexual context. So uncleanness could be translated impurity. Uh, Passion is talking about um, sinful passions, evil uh, desires, desires that are for things that God has forbidden. That's what an evil desire is. When I want something that God says, no, you can't have that. And I uh, then begin to really strongly desire uh, that against what God has said. That becomes an evil desire. And and then He says covetousness. And you know the tenth commandment is you shall not covet. And the first thing on the list of the things you shall not covet is you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And so there was a, an adultery component put into that. So I think all of the I think all of these uh, words that Paul's using here in verse five, they're all connected back to sexual immorality. He's just talking about different aspects of it. Um, the passion and the desire uh, and so forth. This, this would be the, you know, the internal kinds of things. And so um, he says, that this covetousness or this greed to fulfill the sexual appetite in forbidden ways, he says, this is idolatry. This is idolatry. and And this explains to some extent why there's so much um, hostility and even hatred toward people today who, uh, disagree with a person's view on sexuality because what's happening there is they're coming up against their idol. And this has always been the case all throughout history. You have to defend your idol and you're, you know your idol controls you and you defend it and we see that happening. I, I think that it's clear that sex has become a... Uh, a god in our culture today the pornography industry produces 97 billion dollars a year 97 billion dollars that's that's outrageous that's unbelievable um, sex is the number one searched for topic on the internet so first right at the top of the list people going online, people going to Google or going in their browser, whatever, sex is the number one. Uh, That's that's where the majority uh, of people are going. There are 4 million victims of sex trafficking globally. So this is, as it was in the Greco-Roman world, this is an idol. This is a false god. And, and we see people are so devoted to it and people are believing that they're going to discover themselves and they're gonna find their ultimate happiness in, in this sexual relationship or that sexual relationship or this multitude of relationships or changing my sexual identity or whatever. I mean, what, you know, people are so invested in this because they're believing that this is what's going to fulfill them. That's what a God does. And so in our current cultural moment, um, sex has become that idol. But listen to what Paul says. He says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the children of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. So two things, Um, God will judge the sexually immoral person um, it, that, that will inevitably happen. God loves sexually immoral moral people. We've, we've all been sexually immoral to one degree or another, but yet God loved us. And he loved us so much that he sent Christ to die for those things that were an offense to him. And he has forgiven those sins of ours. And that's his, that's his first and uh, primary desire not to bring his wrath upon those who um, live in sexual sin, but to forgive them and to pour out his mercy upon them and to bring them into a relationship with him and out of that kind of behavior. And Paul tells us right here that that was the case with the Colossians. He tells us, or speaking to them, he tells them that you yourselves once walked Uh, In these things, you lived in these things. And that's been true too, all the way from the very beginning of the gospel going out into the world. The gospel meets sinners where they're at and it brings the mercy of God and the grace of God. And it's only when a person spends their life resisting the mercy and the grace of God that inevitably the judgment of God will come. Because remember you were created by God and you were created for God and your body really isn't your own, even though we hear that a lot today. Oh, it's my body. I can do with it what I want. Well, that isn't really true. It's not even true on, uh, on the level of life in you know, just our society, right? There are things you can't do with your body. You can't drive down the street in your car without your seatbelt on you have to strap your body in or you'll get pulled over and you'll be sighted. And there are other things you can't do with your body. You can't go up onto a building and jump off. People do it, but you, you can't do it. If you, if you try to do it and you get caught, you're gonna get uh, taken and you're gonna be put into a 72-hour lockdown. Um, you know, there are lots of things that we can't do with our body that the law around us tells us. And God tells us there are certain things that we are not to do with our body either. And he's completely willing and desirous to forgive us for our offenses in that regard. Uh, but if we persist, then there will be a judgment that comes. And oftentimes, that judgment starts here and now. It, it, it doesn't only wait till the future. It starts here and now. And and many would testify about how um, their their sexual behavior has led to many, many uh, personal problems in their life, sometimes physical problems, uh, obviously relational problems, sometimes even emotional and mental problems. I'll never forget reading the story years ago of the actor Rock Hudson. Maybe you remember that name. Rock Hudson was a famous actor in the 60s and 70s and um, probably a little bit before that. And uh, he was uh, involved in the gay lifestyle behind the scenes. Of course, at that time, it was, you know, it was taboo to, you know, be publicly uh, gay. And, um, but Rock Hudson was also one of the first celebrities to contract and to die from AIDS. And I, I read his story in his own words. And he spoke about how he came to the point of, of hating uh, sex. He hated it because he realized too late that it was actually the thing that destroyed him. And I I heard not too long ago, a wonderful story about how Rock Hudson came to Christ right at the end of his life. And that was a great thing. I'd never heard that before, but anyway, that's just an illustration of, um, of what happens, uh, when we think that we can take Uh, our, our lives that God has given us and do with them what we want. But Paul says, you did that. That was who you were before, but this is no longer the case. And you see, that's the beauty of the power of the gospel. The gospel sets us free from the idols of the past. So I need to hurry up here. So he goes on now and he says in verse eight, but now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath or rage is another way to translate this word, malice. Malice means the desire to harm. So we're to put away malice. We are to put away uh, slander. The word in my version is translated blasphemy, but it's better translated, I think, slander. When we think of blasphemy, we're normally thinking of something against God. This word is just speaking of um slandering our uh, fellow men and women. And then the other thing he says is uh, putting, uh, putting off the, the filthy language out of your mouth and do not lie to one another. So all of these things, Paul says, these are the, these are the things of the old life. And now you died to these things. And since you died to these things, you are to to um, you're to know that that is the truth, and even if you don't feel like you've died to them, you live as though you died to them. You act as though you died to them. You no longer let them control you, and we're we're going to come around to this at the very end of the message, but. Um, just, you know, just, just a quick word on it. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He gives us power over our desires. And in a process of time, he actually transforms us even in regard uh, to our desires. And it doesn't mean that we might never have these kind of desires again, but they never control us like they once uh, were able to control us. And so he goes on and he says... Um, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old with his the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. When God created mankind, Adam and Eve, male and female, first two people, uh, God created, mankind and and all of their descendants. Uh, God created man in his image. And yet that image was marred when sin came in. And so sin has marred the image of God in humanity. And this is why when you look at yourself, when you look at other people, this is why we have this, this, um, conflicted perspective on ourselves and, and on people in general, because on the one hand, we see some really amazing things. We see some wonderful things. We see some good things. And yet on the other hand, we see some horrific things and they're in the same person. How can this be? We see those good things that we see are still the remnants of the image of God that we were created in the, the, evil things that we see these are um, this is the the distortion that's come through sin so here's what paul is telling us is happening though he's telling us that we are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created us this is the beautiful thing god is he's recreating us in a sense back into the image that we were originally in before we were marred by sin. And so this is the new life that he's given you, the new man, the new woman. He's, he's placed a new life within you. And as we grow in our knowledge and in our relationship with him, that image of God becomes more dominant in us and that marred aspect of the image becomes less and less um, visible so how do we do this we're putting on the new we're, we're putting on the new We're we're being renewed and then he goes on and he says where there is neither Greek nor Jew circumcised nor uncircumcised barbarian, Scythians, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. So this is universal. This is across the board. There's no one special group that he does this for, but he doesn't do it for that group. He does it for everyone. And so now he goes on in verse 12 and he says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, uh, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. So put on These things, Paul's using this language of putting off and putting on. I mean, think of it as you know, you get dressed. You you know, you go to bed at night. You take off your, your your clothes, and you go to bed. You get up in the morning, and you put your clothes on. And this is the picture: we take off the old life, and we put on the new life. Those things that he describes here, the tender mercies, the kindness, the humility, the meekness, the long suffering, and the forgiveness. And just notice this really quickly about forgiveness. Notice what Paul says in regard to forgiveness here. He says, forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. See, this is how we forgive. A lot of times we're in a quandary, well, how do I forgive that person? Well, Paul says, think about how Christ forgave you. And just as Christ forgave you undeservedly and freely, not to hold anything against you in the future, all of those aspects of it. He says, just as Christ did this for you, then you do this for others. Now, Paul is talking here. The context here is among the people of God. And you see, among the people of God, we are to express toward one another tender mercies. We're to be merciful. We're to be humble. We're to be meek. We are to be long-suffering, or patient, is another way to translate the word. But translate the word. But uh, long-suffering he gives the picture of uh, you know this is really annoying, but I'm gonna just. Not let the annoying uh, person get to me. I'm I'm gonna keep suffering in this. And this is what we're called to do. But then he says, above everything else, put on love. Put on love because love binds everything together in perfect harmony. So, all those things that we just talked about tender mercies, kindness, humility, long suffering, uh, meekness, forgiveness. All of it's bound together in love. So if we love each other, then all of these things will be there. And so this is what we are to do. We are to put on, or to put off the old, and we are to put on the new. Um, so here it is as I close. If you are in Christ, remember this, you are a new creation. You are a new creation already. And old things are gone and the new has come. So the new has come. Old things are gone. Oh, wait a second. I don't feel like they're gone. They're gone. And you're to stand on that. That is a spiritual truth. That is a fact. You are to stand upon it And you are to no longer let those things control you. So here you are, you're trying to stand. You've got these strong urges, these feelings, and you're you're starting to get pulled in this direction. You say, wait a second, stop. That's not me. That's the old me, but the old me died with Christ. I'm a new creation in Christ. And so as a new creation, no, I'm going to put on these things. Now, think about this for a moment. Isn't it true that, I mean, just in in our life experience, when you get something new, what do you do? You replace the old with the new, right? And so many times it's like, I can't wait to get rid of this junky old thing, whatever it is. Maybe it's a junky old car and you're sick of it breaking down. And and man, you had an opportunity, you got a great deal You were able to get an amazing loan and now you got this new car. What are you going to do? Park that in your driveway and still drive the the junker around? Of course you're not going to do that. You're going to get rid of that thing because the new has come. And so that's, that's what we're talking about here. The old, we're we're just to, to set that aside because the new has come. So, Whether you feel like it or not is not the point. You see, the fact is, as I said, we are new in Christ. So begin to act like the person you are, not like the person you feel you are. And in time, you'll see that the new you will emerge more and more as time passes the new you will emerge. As you say no to the old man and you say yes to the new nature, you're gonna find that through a process of time that your desires are going to become more and more toward the things of the new. You've perhaps heard the saying, fake it till you make it, Well, it's a bit like that, except you're not really faking it because you truly are a new person in Christ. But you know, there, there have been people who, I mean, that's sort of been their story, right? Uh, I think of some actors, I've read some stories where, you know, people talked about how they, you know, they began, they were just pitiful as, as far as their skill went in acting, but they just kept you know kind of pretending like hey i can really do this and eventually they did it Uh, so again fake it till you make it is not really that great of a slogan because we don't want to fake anything but we're not faking it we're just acting on what is really true regardless of how i feel so going back to where we started learning to believe what doesn't at the moment feel true is an essential part of being a Christian. And that's what we're talking about here. So a lot of these things, man, I don't, I don't feel it. I don't feel the love. I don't feel the, the humility. I don't feel any of that, but that's who you really are. So begin to act it out, begin to live on it. You, oh, but I feel this, but, but that's not you anymore that that that's the old you that that person's gone. And you have to just recognize that and stand in the reality of the fact that you are a new creation in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that these truths would uh, really grab hold of us, Lord. And we, we thank you that you have a new life for us. You have a new lifestyle. You have a, a new behavior pattern that's healthy and good and healing. And it, it blesses us and it blesses other people. Help us to walk in that reality and not to get sucked back into the old. Help us to recognize that it doesn't matter how we feel. What matters is what is true. And what is true is that Christ died and rose again, and that we died with him, and we rose again with him as well. And so work that, Lord, uh, in us, we pray. And I pray, Lord, for anyone today who's maybe been struggling, I pray that you would just show them that this is the key that unlocks that new um, life in the spirit that you've been calling them into. Help them, Lord, to put off the old and to put on the new And Lord, if there's a single person that's joining us in the online service today that doesn't know Christ, maybe they're all bound up and in the idolatry of this world, maybe it's sexual idolatry or some other form. Uh, Lord, they're controlled by these forces that are uh, wrecking their lives and the lives of people around them. Help them to know that in Christ, they can have a new start as a new creation. Help them to call out to you